It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Inside the Criminal Mind Podcast, where we analyze some of the most notorious criminal cases with psychology and criminology combined. Here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Welcome, everybody. Today we're going to be talking about the internet black widow, 77-year-old Melissa Shepard. So we'll get into this story in a minute. If you want to support our podcast, please hit that like and share button. Leave us a review. So let's go inside the criminal mind. Here's what we know about Militia Shepard's background, which has been extracted from various media sources and publications, including the fifth estate episode, Timeline, The Life of Melissa Friedrich. The Internet Black Widow and Lee Mellor's Cold North Killers. Melissa Shepard was born Melissa Ann Russell in Burnt Church, New Brunswick in 1935. Burnt Church is a small community, population less than 2,000, located on Miramichi Bay in the northeastern corner of New Brunswick. Its name derives from the 1758 burning by the British of the first stone church in New Brunswick. Reports indicate that Shepard moved to Ontario in 1953 when she was 18, where she lived with an aunt and completed high school via evening correspondence. She met married Russell Shepard, a factory worker, and the two relocated to his hometown of Montague. They had two children together, a daughter who still resides in Montague, and a son who lives in Nova Scotia. Melissa Shepard's documented criminal history, though, dates back to 1970 when she was 35 years old. She incurred four charges of false pretenses, false statements in Toronto. Although the specific detail of these, of these charges are not known, she received a suspended sentence plus six months probation and was ordered to make restitution. Seven years later, she was convicted of 11 charges of forgery and sentenced to 11 months in jail. Now, you got to remember, at this point, she's 42 years of age. She was convicted and sentenced in Toronto to six months plus two years probation in 1979 for uttering false pretenses and fraud. She received a 24-month sentence plus probation for three years. She was paroled the same month. In 1984, Shepard incurred yet another conviction for fraud over $200 in Toronto, for which she received a sentence for of two years less a day. She was paroled in about eight months, reinfended, Two months later, again for fraud, served another six months and was paroled again in six, uh, in September 1985. So now she's reoffending every six months. Every time she gets out, she reoffends. Reports indicate that Miss Shepard returned to PEI in December 1985. In 1988, she met Gordon Stewart, a widower who was selling some property. According to the letter written by Mr. Stewart shortly before his death in 1991, Shepard approached him about buying the property, and the two began a romantic relationship the same day. According to the letter, which has no specific addressee, Shepard told Stewart that she was separated from her husband, Russell. Shortly thereafter, Shepard and Stewart began cohabiting 
in Charleston. Mr. Stewart was employed as a commissionaire and was a receipt of a military pension and received funds from his late wife's pension as well. According to his letter, he and Shepard were doing well and they shared a joint bank account. One night, he arrived home from work to discover that she had vacated the premises with all her clothes and all his money. She subsequently called him from Toronto claiming that she was unable to get back, so he flew up to get her. Shortly thereafter, it seems her daughter got married and Shepard took off again with more of his money. She subsequently contacted him, told him she had a drug problem, and he took her back. In his letter, Mr. Stewart explained that he still loved her and kept hoping she would change. He claimed that she would go to work and repay the money owed, but that never happened. The couple relocated to Moncton, New Brunswick, and then took a trip to Las Vegas where they got married. The marriage was not legal, however, because Shepard wasn't divorced. You see, reportedly, Shepard defrauded Stewart of about $4,000 during the trip to Las Vegas. Once again, however, he took her back, now thinking he had nothing to lose. Eventually, Mr. Stewart ended up selling his land at Wood Islands and the couple moved to Vancouver, where his optimism persisted. Another wedding ceremony followed in January, although it is still not clear if she was legally divorced from Russell, Russell Shepard. As Stewart's report indicated, their divorce was not finalized until May of 91. Apparently, the couple reconnected back in Montague, where it seems Shepard had resumed her old ways, including defrauding her father-in-law of money. After she exhausted his late wife's credit cards, Gordon Stewart was forced to declare bankruptcy. In his letter, he wrote, I don't know how she gets away with so much. Around the same time, it seems, that Shepard started making claims that Stewart was going to knife or shoot her. In his letter, Stewart seems confused by these allegations and contends that Shepard was angry because he established his own bank account. He also seems frustrated by the fact that she doesn't seem to want him around the apartment, but yet won't ask for a divorce. Reports suggest that Mr. Stewart became delusional at the couple's apartment in December of 1990. Apparently, two years later, he was discovered frothing at the mouth on the floor and taken to a hospital when benzodiazepine was found in his system. In 1991, Stewart was convicted and sentenced to jail time for assaulting Shepard. Apparently, she visited him in jail. He was released in March of 91 and court-ordered to have no contact with his wife. Nonetheless, it seems she initiated contact. In, 19, in April of 1991, the couple relocated to Nova Scotia, and within a month, Shepard killed Stewart by running over him with a car on a deserted road near the Halifax airport. Reports indicate that she didn't report his death until three hours later after she changed her clothes. Toxicology reports reveal the presence of alcohol and benzodiazepines in his system. The mixture was judged to be sufficient to kill him. Although Shepard claimed that Stewart sexually assaulted her, medical tests failed to support her claim. Undeterred, Shepard applied for his pension benefits. At her trial in 1992, two eyewitnesses testified that they saw Shepard hit her husband with the car then put the car in reverse. Shepard claimed that the Stewart, that Stewart was a, an abusive alcoholic. Shepard was eventually convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 60 years in prison. While incarcerated, she formed a support group for women. In 1994, the National Film Board aired a documentary on battered women's syndrome when women kill, which included Shepard. In the documentary, Shepard maintains her claim that Stewart raper raped her and that in her effort to escape, she accidentally put the car in reverse and ran her over. In 1997, 
actually before that, the following year in 1995, there was, a, there was startup funding from the Ontario Trillium Foundation based on the documentary. Shepard established his telephone support service in Kingston called Project Another Chance. The service was designed for federally sentenced women in prison and parole. In 1997, Melissa Stewart now had an article published in the Journal of Prisoners on Prison, Prison for Women's Invisible Minority. She describes her relationship with Gordon Stewart, which she maintains started when she was selling real estate and was looking to buy a piece of land. She goes on to describe her life became centered around making Stewart happy until he, while he devolved into a violent alcoholic. Shepard was soon released by, from jail. But in April 2000, now at 66 years of age, she met an 83-year-old Robert Friedrich at a Christian retreat in Ontario. He was a retired engineer who recently lost, wife, lost his wife. Shepard had sent Friedrich a letter, including her picture in the statement, God wants us to be married. And in May 2000, Friedrich responded to a letter, and within days, he traveled to Florida to meet him. Within three days of her arrival, the two were engaged. It seems Friedrich's son, Dennis, was not so easily enamored and cautioned his father to proceed slowly in his relationship with Shepard. Nevertheless, the following month in June, Shepard and Friedrich were married. In Nova Scotia, Shepard relocated to Florida and assumed her new husband's last name. By March 2001, Robert Friedrich's family was growing increasingly concerned about his health due to repeated incidences of slurred speech and hospitalization. Reports indicate that in May of 2001, Shepard obtained two prescriptions for lorizepam. Police records show that on different occasions, six different occasions, Shepard apparently procured prescriptions from one physician and then within 30 days of the prescription received another from a different doctor. In 2002, one of Friedrich's children called the elder abuse line and lodged a complaint against her. At some point in 2002, Robert Friedrich rewrote his will, making Shepard his whole sole beneficiary. By, death, by December 2002, just a few months later, Robert Friedrich was dead of an apparent cardiac arrest, having given $100,000 over, $100, over to his new wife. His death certificate was confirmed by a medical practitioner over the telephone without any examination of the body. The cremation certificate was issued and no autopsy or toxicology reports were done. Friedrich's sons alleged that Shepard poisoned their father with prescription medications. In the absence of an autopsy, however, they had no way of confirming their allegations and no charges were laid. Although not charged with his murder, Shepard apparently lost all but $15,000 of the inheritance in an ensuing court battle with his sons. In 2003, though, Melissa Shepard returned to Prince Edward Island over the next year. She traveled back and forth between Canada and the U.S. Later in 2004, she ended up meeting another gentleman. She drove to Florida in a new white Cadillac to meet Alexander Stratagos. Stratagos was a divorced 73-year-old former tax collector in Pittsburgh, who she met online. Shepard had initiated internet contact with as many as 20 men from across Canada and the United States. Apparently, Mr. Stratagos was crippled with diabetes and was looking for a caring woman to procure groceries and prepare meals. Given his history of strokes, family members were not immediately alarmed to find out that Stratagos had Miss Melissa Shepard, or whatever her name was at the time, move in. 
Within three months of being cared for Shepard, though, including bedtime feedings of ice cream, Stratagos was placed in a nursing home. Remember, he was diabetic. On December 28, 2004, he signed over a power of attorney to Shepard. She promptly took over his condo and emptied his bank accounts. In 2005, Stratagos' son, Dean, became aware of unprescribed drugs identified in his father's medical report and blood tests. He also discovered that $18,000 was missing from his father's bank account. Just a month later, in 2005, Pinella Parker police arrested Shepard and charged her with exploitation of the elderly and forgery and theft. Police had alleged that she coerced Stratagos to give her power of attorney and then siphoned off his money into her bank. She was granted bail of $7,500 but subsequently placed on hold by the Department of Homeland Security when it was revealed that she had lied about her criminal record upon entering the country in 2004. A search of Alex Stratagos' condominium revealed a suitcase full of pills. Moreover, his internet page had been converted to a Christian single site. Never one to be deterred by looming criminal charges, Shepard was already trawling for her next victim. In March, two months later, Shepard pleaded guilty to seven charges related to the Alex Stratagos case. These charges included three counts of grand theft, two counts of forgery. She was never charged with attempted murder, and as part of a plea agreement, Shepard was sentenced to five years in a four-way jail. She was released after four and deported to Canada. Upon her return to Canada, Shepard faced more charges. On February 2005, the Nova Scotia issued a warrant for her arrest, charging that she defrauded the government of $30,000 over a four-year period of time. She had employed two different social insurance numbers under the names and two under two various names. In 2012, sometime thereafter, she met 75-year-old Fred Weeks, a father of six. The two struck up a friendship and within a matter of weeks got married. After being together for a few weeks, Shepard informed the innkeeper that her husband had fallen ill and needed to be taken to a hospital. Once she ate breakfast, she called 911. Weeks was admitted to the Northern Sydney General Hospital, at which time benzodiazepines, not prescribed, were found in his system. Reportedly, court documents indicate that police seized two purses containing several bags and bottles of prescription drugs, as well as a handwritten note about the immediate need to get power of attorney. She was arrested again on October 1, 2012. One person who was not surprised by Shepard's recent arrest was Kate Reeves, Gordon Stewart's sister. Remember him? The one who she said she went looking to buy homes, and they met and got married and had a very volatile relationship. Well, it seems that Fred Weeks knew about the history of Melissa Shepard, but said he liked to live dangerously. Well, she was eventually arrested again and waived her right to a preliminary hearing, elected to be tried by a Supreme Court judge. Defense attorney Nicholson suspects that the Crown is leaning towards similar fact evidence, permits, uh, similar fact evidence permits the introduction of evidence demonstrating uncharged misconduct on the part of the accused. And there you have it. Melissa Shepard again on the hunt in 2012. She was attempted, she was charged with attempted murder of her fourth husband, Fred Weeks, and after pleading guilty to lesser charges, she was sentenced to three and a half years. Police found substantial, substantial drug stockpiles, we mentioned earlier, together with prescriptions from five different doctors and several sets of identity documents in different names. The judge said people who have contact with this lady should be careful. And on March 2016, Melissa was released again from jail in Nova Scotia on a number of strict conditions. 
Halifax police released that she would be residing in the Halifax area and that she had been assessed and found to be a high risk to reoffend. Shepard in 2016 was seen at the Halifax Central Library accessing the internet by a community response officer and was also found with a device capable of accessing the internet, which were breaches of the release conditions. She was charged with breaching the terms. On August 4th, her lawyer entered not guilty pleas for three counts of breaching. Her trial was set to begin in February 2017. And there you go. The story of the internet black widow. But if we were to diagnose her, what would we say? On the basis of the available information, Ms. Shepard appears to meet the criteria for several diagnoses. And it's hard because we don't really get to need talk to her, but here's some of the criteria. Again, antisocial personality disorder, which you'll see a lot in these serial killers. The DSM-5 defines a personality disorder as an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the expectations of the individual culture. It's pervasive and inflexible, as we noticed over and over again. Now, we don't know her patterns in her life when she was growing up in her youth, so we don't know. The typical, the typical pattern of an antisocial is usually having conduct disorder, committing some kind of petty crimes when they're young. Uh, maybe oppositional defiant, maybe having some issues in school, behavioral problems, impulsivity, but we don't know that from Melissa Shepard. Uh, individuals with antisocial personally think and act in ways that violate social norms and fringe on the rights of others and bring them into conflict with the law. we got to remember, uh, they also have very low empathy. They have a very attenuated frontal, frontal, uh, prefrontal cortex where you make your moral decisions, where you plan, where you anticipate consequences. You can see here, Shepard... Either A, thought she was smarter than the law, which I don't know how, because she constantly got arrested, or B, she just did not anticipate consequences, which is a common feature for people with antisocial personality disorder or a reduced activity in the prefrontal cortex. Other symptoms of antisocial are chronic uh, deceitfulness, impulsivity, recklessness, aggressiveness, irresponsibility. These are all things that we saw in her behavior. Um... Now, mind you, as we've mentioned before, it is estimated that approximately 75 to 80 percent of the incarcerated male population would meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. By comparison, though, a substantially smaller proportion, 15 to 30, would meet the criteria for psychopathy. An estimated rate for antisocial among female inmates tend to be lower for, uh, for, than for men, 56 percent for antisocial and 15 percent for psychopathy. But it doesn't mean... They're not. There still are some individual women who have those diagnoses. In the general population, prevalence rates for antisocial are estimated to be 3 to 5% for men and 1 to 2 for women. Rates of psychopathy among women in the general pop are not known. So again, here we see clearly that she definitely has a lot of these symptomologies of antisocial personality disorder. We don't know exactly for sure because we don't have a chance to diagnose her, to look at anything. Um, but from the symptoms that she portrayed, at least from the things we do know, it's very likely that she did. And that ends our story of the Internet Black Widow, Melissa Shepard. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.